You know, you may think you have five direct competitors that do the same thing as you. I don't think like that. I view my competition as just people's attention. And you could buy people's attention with like ads and stuff like that. But to earn people's attention and to really create a brand that, you know, really stands for something that people can like get behind. You got to make it fun. There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Mundane Millionaires. Today we have a special guest with us, Andrew Gazdecki of Acquire.com, formerly microacquire.com. Andrew is a 30 under 30 entrepreneur and the founder of altacoin.io and business apps, both of which he's exited. It's a, a really fun conversation. Andrew gets into his scarcity mindset, you know, why he is the serial entrepreneur that he is from his childhood. And, you know, he, he dives into his, his Twitter strategy, the marketing genius behind Acquire.com, some of his recent antics with Twitter and trying to release the Acquire handle, which is a ton of fun. And then at the end, we get into building the Zillow of business buying, some of the challenges that SMB presents, that tech doesn't present, and where they're, they're planning to take their roadmap with Acquire.com. Andrew Gazdecki. So 30 under 30 entrepreneur for Inc. Magazine. That's kind of huge isn't it like that's a big is that a big one my mom thought it was cool <sighs> uh, i i guess do you want any other story behind it yeah so i my first business is called uh business apps spelled incorrectly because couldn't afford the correct domain but it was a ink magazine fastest growing company three years in a row we were number uh 58 92 i forget the other number and all of a sudden, you know, you, you just kind of applied to it. And then one day they're just like, oh, you won the thing. And I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> That's kind of the whole story. And then, and then the, and then the funny part about being on Inc's like fastest growing companies, the first time I had to literally change my cell phone number because they sell the list to every no. recruiting company. Yeah, like your phone just blows up. And this was before Apple had the silence unknown caller feature. So yeah. I li I've literally changed my phone number. I was like, this is absolutely. And then we stopped uh, sharing financials with them because just getting on that list, it's cool. But you're, just get ready for some some cold outreach. It's marketing. Yeah, they do that yeah. to us as lawyers too. There's the you know best lawyers in America. There are a handful of them that really matter. But even that is still... You know, it's still marketing to your point about ambulance chasers. I think it means more to the, you know, to the, to the park bench attorney or the billboard attorney than it does to other people. But, um, oh, so that ruins it. So they do, they market it out. Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm just glad it wasn't Forbes 30 under 30 because their track record is, it's yeah. like a sign of that. <laughs> yeah. Is that like had, a death sentence? I, oh man. Uh, like their, their list includes 
like Elizabeth Holmes, like some, oh, yeah. some, you know, really just unfortunate individuals that actually, you know, went to jail and stuff like that. I don't know if anyone on the Inc. 30 under 30 has gone to, to jail for fraud. So, yeah. Like Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX was a 30 under 30, I think. Okay. I could be getting all this wrong, but yeah, they, they're so you're they're going to PR team pushing hard for that list. I've seen, those, <laughs> I've seen those headlines. It is kind of the kiss of death, and I think that they're um, one of them. Their top business was SVB Silicon, you know, the, the the defunct bank, or I guess it still exists. I don't know. So interesting. I didn't know if there was a you know a meaningful demarcation between pre thirty under thirty and post thirty under thirty. Though I guess you're in your twenties. Assuming I think at, I think at this point, if you're on a thirty under thirty list, it's more of like I I try to hide it. It's a little embarrassing more than it is something to kind of. My mom loves it though, so it's well, it's great so great, tr- great for your mom. I so in full disclosure, I dropped your your bio into ChatGPT and I said, "Give me a concise intro summary for Andrew Gazdecki." And the first thing it pulled up was Inc. Thirty under thirty. So ChatGPT just read through your. Your your interest in being coy there. Prior to MicroAcquire, which I guess is Acquire.com now, Altacoin.io and Business Apps, which you just talked about business apps, were those both business buying, business focused? What what were the what was the focus of those businesses? Yeah. So business apps was a like a no code drag and drop mobile app builder. I spent eight years building that one. I started it in college and that was for the Inc. Magazine, fastest growing companies, only raised like a hundred thousand for that one, and that was when like the iPhone first came out. I was in college, and I knew mobile apps were going to be big. I knew the iPhone was going to be big, so it was kind of kind of like a right place, right time business. Um, and then I exited that business when I was twenty nine. The second business, Altcoin, that was not not successful nearly as as business apps what we were trying to do was speed up times on the ethereum blockchain and it's still slow so we didn't succeed and then it was only so much you could do yeah you 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 too might appreciate this as attorneys but we were building the software with the first use case being like a decentralized coinbase and then the sec came out with basically saying like, hey, if you launch this, it's going to be deemed as an unregulated securities exchange. Yeah. So me and the team, I remember we were like, yeah, we don't want to go to jail. So, (laughs) and and we don't like crypto that much. So we ended up just selling the assets to a company that did have the proper, uh, like a broker dealer license and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I just tried to look it up now to see if it still exists. It goes to bnktothefuture.com. It looks like it maybe got sold to a portfolio of fintech and crypto companies. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's a company that bought it. And what they do is they're essentially like the crowd fund investor for crypto companies. Hmm. So they're just like we funder a republic, but specifically for crypto. Got it. Interesting. And were those simultaneous, Andrew, or did you did you launch Altcoin after you sold the the business app, or wh- wh- how did that develop? Yeah, good question. So when we were in due diligence for business apps, I kind of had this sort of like personal like crisis of like, what am I going to do? I want to because my 
the terms we negotiated were all cash on close, no earn out. I'm out in 90 days. And so I'm like, what do I do? I'm 29. I still like to build stuff. And so during due diligence, I actually started working on that. And then in hindsight, I, I should have t- taken a break. I wish I just like traveled the world or something like that. But instead I hindsight. decided, yeah, yeah, I decided to take on, you know, some new problems, new people. Uh, How old were you and, then? Well, I sold business apps when I was 29 and so launched all coin when I was 29 and then sold that when I was, it was, a, it was a short stint there. So like 31, if I had to. So you grinded your whole, your whole twenties then. Yeah. So still today, I guess. Yeah. What, yeah was that but, your, I don't know. I'm still, still working. Was that always sort of your plan or trajectory or did you, did you graduate from high school going to college thinking like, I'm going to go be a, you know, what, like a, a, a big tech something or private equity investor and you sort of stumbled into entrepreneurship or what, what led, what led you, you know, so early to kind of launch your own company and be entrepreneurial? Yeah, good question. You know, I grew up in this town, San Clemente, and the parents, you know, we didn't, we didn't really come from too much money. Father passed away when I was six. We were on food stamps for a minute. But life was like good, so don't don't, don't feel bad for me or anything like that. But yeah, San, San Clemente uh, is a pretty decent place to grow up. Yeah, but what's interesting is when you know you're living in like an apartment and you're, you go to your friend's five million dollar ocean yeah. view house, and so mm-hmm. money money kind of became very top of mind, I guess, for me. Not yeah. in like a I want to be like I was just kind of curious, like how does this all work? Why do you have this? And so from like from maybe age 13 basically when people were collecting baseball cards i was selling them when i wanted a new skateboard i needed to figure out a way to pay for it myself so i was selling stuff on ebay when i was 15 kind of a funny story but i I had like a really successful ebay store and what i would do is just basically buy stuff spelled incorrectly and then resell it so basically arbitrage on price when the listing was bad and i met the president of paypal one time and I was like, oh, I've been using eBay and PayPal since I was like 15. And he goes, you got to be 18. And I was like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> but at the time. No, I meant 18. Yeah. So just to answer your question, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And yeah. I think entrepreneurship is, you know, sexy and kind of cool and like glamorized a little bit too much. But for me, it was just like a survival mechanism. Like, you know, I, I want a skateboard, so I got to go earn it. Yeah, and do you feel answer- like you've ever shaken that sense of scarcity? Is it so you had an exit, right? You're 29, you exit. I assume it was for probably a decent amount of money. You don't have to say how much, but probably more than most people see in their lifetime. You have an exit and you're like, I gotta get right back to work. Like, no time. Is that a product of that scarcity mindset that was kind of drilled into you as a kid? I could tell you I've dealt with the same thing recently, kind of been doing some work and reading some books, trying to unwind that. Do you feel like you're a, a victim of the same thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I've unpacked that with a few people. And I mean, my greatest my greatest fear is being poor. I mean, when you've seen the floor, it, you know, it just, you know, it, it it's not fun. And I saw just a life that I didn't want for my family. And so, yeah, that's, that's some big motivation. But when I started a second company, you know, once I exited that one and it wasn't as good of an outcome, I kind of took some time to reflect. And 
you know, once you, I think with my first business, what happened was I put too much of my self identity into, you know, I'm like 20, uh, 21. And then all the way up to 29, I'm the CEO of this company. All these people are relying on me and then it's just all gone. And so I think that led me to immediately start another company because that sense of, you know, companies aren't families by any means, but I loved everyone I worked with and that was just all gone. And so I wanted that back really bad. So again, looking back in hindsight, you know, I think I started it just out of, you know, I'm, I'm a CEO of a startup. I need to have another startup, but that isn't how it should be and how I should have been thinking. But, you know, over time you start to kind of reflect and unpack stuff like that. But now I'm at a place where, you know, I, I just love building stuff. Like, I think that's where I'm the happiest. And when I feel most alive is just making cool stuff. Building. Yeah. yeah. So when, when did, so, I mean, fast forwarding then through, through, you know, a couple exits and whatever, when did you identify a need for an acquire.com? Right. When did you start thinking about man, I should start building something, you know, online tech enabled to solve a problem in the business buying ecosystem. How did that develop? Yeah, that's a great question. So at first I, I, so I, I literally have a journal entry. I don't have, not, not like a weird journal, like, Hey, dear diary. I, <sighs> I have this journal that I write dear diary. Now, nah, just like, you know, things that are going really well in business, things that I'm concerned yeah. about. And then I have like three things that I usually say I'm grateful for. And I reflect on that every single month because it helps with, you know, every business has some huge problem, but then you reflect back in 30 days and you're like, oh, that problem, oh, well, that problem's wrong. I got a new problem. So it gives you like a better perspective into, you know, what may seem like a huge problem today isn't really that big and it will be solved. But to answer your question, so... You know, after building two companies, I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to buy one. You know, I could skip the eating glass phase. And what I mean is product market fit. You're talking to customers. It probably won't work out. And, you know, it's it that that stage, the zero to one stage is a grind. And I, I just didn't know if I had enough gas in the tank left for it. And I didn't really have any ideas. And then I looked at just some of the regular spots. I didn't know business brokers existed until I started micro. I, I just thought it was investment banks. Um, I didn't know there was like a group of individuals focused. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. I thought just maybe there was investment bankers that focus on that. So long story short, I just thought, Hey, this is an interesting market. I love startups. I love working with entrepreneurs and there hasn't been really any innovation in the space. And, I think it could be interesting. I think there's going to be a trend of two things, more people building businesses without raising capital. And so those businesses being too small for investment banks or even business brokers. And then also a trend in entrepreneurship through acquisition, which was kind of what I was thinking. So for a little bit, for probably the first three months, three, four months of MicroQuire's existence, it was just me. And it was kind of like a like a deal flow platform. That was my thought. It was like, oh, I'll eventually, you know, find something to buy. And it's just a great way to kind of network with people in the industry and learn from them. But yeah, just kind of, you know, anytime I've entered a market, I always like before business apps as a as an example, I had a job board that connected mobile developers with businesses, and I ended up selling that and started business apps. 
And the point I'm trying to make is I knew mobile apps were going to be big. So I was just like, what can I do to get myself in that market? And I did the same thing with entrepreneurship through acquisition by building Microcore. I didn't know where it was going to go. So I didn't start with like a grandiose, like Zillow for m and Let's go. It was just right. kind of like, hey, this is interesting. But I do have a journal entry the day before I launched it that I wrote that's like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I think it's really cool. And the website looks really good. So I'm happy. Ah, the website uh, was nice. That's cool. That's, yeah. I'm pretty sure I have a, a similar journal entry or note entry somewhere when we were about to quit our big corporate legal jobs and launch. Yeah, but it's, it's not the opposite, Kevin. It says, but the website is terrible. So. <laughs> And, it's, and the website is terrible. Well, um, well, so, well, so the, the thought process behind like the user experience of, and this may sound kind of weird, but I felt to get a startup to, and there's also other points I should add too. Like after selling, um, you know, business apps, I had so many friends reach out to me in terms of like, how do you sell a business? What's due diligence? What, yeah. who, what the hell is a private yeah. equity firm? Yeah. What do they do? Like, how did you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh, I thought everyone knew this stuff. Just because there's books on like everything from marketing to sales, but nothing really on like how to get your company acquired. There's maybe a, there's, there's a few good ones now, but you know, five years ago, six years ago, I think there was maybe like two. Yeah. Um, so still, I just thought that, tough space for resources. Yeah. So I thought, you know, it'd be cool to help entrepreneurs in, in that sense as well. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that point. I, I kind of it, forgot my train it, of thought. Andrew, <laughs> have you ever taken a culture index? Have you ever done a personality test like a Myers-Briggs or anything? like? Because I feel like, and, and Kevin and I actually had a conversation recently with somebody else who runs a business brokerage or, well, I don't know what it is. It's a website with businesses. And we were like, what's up with acquire.com like they really seem like they're the fastest moving player and you know kind of the that they get it and the person goes gosh they got gosh you know and i feel like i see you marketing and selling this brand and you know the twitter stuff and all this and trying to get the acquire.com or the acquire handle you you strike me as like the rainmaker kind of the the marketing first kind of guy and I love it. Is your background in marketing or what's, where does that come from? Yeah. Great, 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 great question. So one thing that I've always believed in terms of just making any successful business is number one, you have to enjoy it. Like it has to be fun. So I have so much fun marketing acquire. It's, you know, we, I, I do funny things, you know, I'm chasing after a Twitter handle. The Twitter cakes were incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that was my way of just saying like, "Hey, I'm not getting it. I'm, here's 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 some cake. Everyone stop asking Gosh, about it." Mary. It was for, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was from the one yard line. But yeah, I mean, I just think you know the number two would be you know founder market fit, and that just basically means I'm an entrepreneur. I feel like I kind of understand other entrepreneurs. Maybe I'm just I'm kind of guessing here, but like you know. I've had compliments of, you know, our marketing campaigns with that Russ Hanneman guy from Silicon Valley. I'm an entrepreneur. I've watched that show like four times. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's hilariously it's and scary. It's accurately scary if I if that's the right grammar. But so just things like that, I guess, just understanding like your customer and then it just being really, really fun because it's really hard to compete against someone where it's fun when it feels like work to you. 
because that other person's going to do creative stuff. And then I could also kind of tell you other things in terms of how I think about marketing where, you know, you may think you have, you know, five direct competitors that do the same thing as you. I don't think like that. I view my competition as just people's attention and you could buy people's attention with like ads and stuff like that. But to earn people's attention and to really create a brand that, you know, really stands for something that people can like get behind, you got to make it fun. You got to, you know, do some like, uh, you know, Richard Branson does some, some cool marketing stunts. He's not one of my like favorite entrepreneurs, but he's, he's up there for sure. But yeah, just, I don't know. I love my job. No, I I think it resonates. I mean, that's, you know, Kevin and I's story. I wanted to buy a business and then, you know, had people come to me and say, Hey, I need a lawyer to help me buy a business. And I thought, okay, here's a natural fit. And it's like this passion and, you know, it's a ton of fun and I read my clients resonate with me. So it doesn't make it like work. So I definitely see that in you and you're, you look like you're having a blast and you've got this really pithy way of tweeting, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You've got this style where it's like two sentences but it's like so on point with entrepreneurs that they, that it just, it goes viral almost every time you tweet. So it's pretty cool to watch. Do you uh, want to, do you want to hear uh, my Twitter strategy? I was just sure. at lunch and so he like really wanted to know, and this goes back to like, you need to find a way to make it fun. So mm-hmm. all of my tweets before I used to be able to see where they came, but they were all from my phone. It's literally just me making coffee. And then I'm just like, I don't know. I think this is a good tip. So like, I don't pre-write stuff. I don't really like, I I've had some terrible tweets, like whatever. Like, so my point being is, you know, the, the, if you can make it fun for you where you're not putting yourself under pressure, like, all right, I need this thread to go viral or like something like, you're just kind of like, I don't know. Dark mode is cool for a startup. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I think it's funny. So again, just like going back to, cause then you'll be consistent. If you enjoy it, you'll be consistent. And if you're consistent, that's when you really see results and, you know, et cetera. And then you start to really find kind of your voice and your vibe, but you know, being able to find a way to make it fun, I think makes it, makes it work. So you don't have like a, a, a full set of draft tweets ready to go. kind of, you know, a la strip mall guy, you're just making coffee and you're riffing in your, your kitchen. Because some of these are, it's hard to believe, I, you know, I actually don't know that I believe you because some of these are really good. <laughs> I'm looking at your, your top tweets right now. And some of these are too well thought out. Like you've got startups are hard as hell. They take years to build. You'll be stressed a lot. You'll work long hours. You'll think about giving up. Remember why you started. You wanted to solve a problem. You wanted to help people at scale. You wanted to change a market. So do that. And it's like, it reads. Hey, 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 what time is that written? You know what? It doesn't say, let me see if I can click on it. That, that, 7, I, 7 p.m., 7 p.m. I, so that was a 7 I p.m. Wrote that, so. I wrote that in bed watching a TV show. I remember <laughs> that. But it, it's, it's, it's stuff that like you, you've lived in, right? So you, you say things that resonate. And I think that that's pretty cool. And, and one, one other thing I'll say too is just, the my my favorite thing about twitter is and this sounds super cheesy but i like motivating and inspiring people like some people on twitter hate it some people are like oh now they're like but some some people need that you know i i believe you know the biggest hurdle to enter entrepreneurship for a lot of people is just 
getting started, like just that first step or they feel stuck or something like that. So when I write, those are my favorite tweets to write because then it feels like, you know, it's just my thoughts, but someone on the other end might be reading it and feeling like they're stuck and like they need that extra piece of money. And if that helps one person, I that that fires me up. So that's a slice of cheese pizza, but. I, I always, I'll be like out for a morning jog or something. And I like think of something so, so cheesy and such a platitude of like I'm doing it and it just never, it never goes well. So I'm aspiring amateur motivational speaker myself too. Kevin's not motivational at all. Kevin keep, keeps it down to earth. So that's right. I'm, I'm the, I'm the real lawyer in the room. That's going to remind you of why you, why you can't take, no, I'm kidding. He's the disclaimer <laughs> at the end of your tweet. I'm, oh, I'm kidding. No, I, 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 I probably I, shouldn't say it on a recording that'll be out for public assumption, but I tell people all the time, like, I'd much rather be doing, doing this, be tweeting motivational stuff, be making YouTube videos, going to conferences than I ever would, you know, drafting an asset purchase yeah. agreement. Yeah. I just, I, I love that about this space. And it's, it, it's why we love SM, you know, what, what we're doing because it marries the skills that, you know, we spent an adult career developing, you know, you don't want to throw those away in terms of like high quality legal practice, but it marries it with, you know, Something unique, I think, about this entrepreneur community that, you know, was just lost on me for a decade in the corporate world. It, it, not, not all heroes wear capes, you know? <laughs> Eric does, it, though. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got a closet full of capes. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the, the business. What would you characterize Acquire.com as? Are you a business brokerage? Or are you a platform? Like, what, what is it? Marketplace. But we we are we do have um, a brokerage subsidiary because, as you know, to take commissions on any sort of transaction, specifically asset sales, you need to have a licensed brokerage firm. So we do have one. We have broker deals and we're going to be taking commissions marketplace wide next month. So it's it's I, I guess another way to put it would be, you know, a tech-enabled investment bank, tech-enabled brokerage firm. Got it. And uh, so Kevin and I recently had a conversation of like, why does the Zillow of business marketplaces not quite exist yet, right? Like what the current landscape is pretty terrible. Like I think you're probably running the best platform. In fact, I sent this tweet. I said, who is building the Zillow of business buying and why does that not exist yet? And I think half the people who responded said acquire.com. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, tell us everything about the, the marketplace. One, how do we get the best deal, right? What's the, is there a certain time that we should be logging in? Is there some way to track as new businesses come, come forward? And then two, how do you guys differentiate yourself, right? Because I just see a bunch of glorified bulletin boards of, you know, BizBuySell is the, the most prominent example. I think they have like 11 million unique monthly visitors. And to me, it seems like, I think it's owned by CoStar, like they've made no investment in that platform. They have no interest in making it interesting or enjoyable to look at. They have no interest in making the process smoother. And then I see you guys and you're like, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to make the lawyer obsolete, you know, with the purchase agreement platform, you're trying to do a bunch of things. And so I'm curious about both of those things. One, how do we as buyers get the best deal? And the two, how are you guys making this business more interesting for the user? 
Yeah, great questions. So the first part in terms of, you know, how we're different, just how I kind of think about the space and the business I want to build is, you know, we don't want to just build a big brokerage. Like, I think that's kind of an interesting take when people are like, I'm going to build a better biz by sell, but then it's really just like a SMB business brokerage. You're not really changing anything. You're not really disrupting anything. You're not really innovating on anything. You're not really making anything too much more efficient. I guess you could have a, a more efficient, you know, sales process or, or whatever it may be, but you don't really have any defensibility in that business. And so a lot of the focus that we put into, you know, what we build at acquire.com is, you know, how can we, you know, standardize and streamline and just make the acquisition process, you know, more efficient for both the buyer and, and the seller. And so we do have tools where you can draft an LOI with a bunch of, you know, different terms like conditional holdback, seller financing. You can edit the docs. So we're not trying to get rid of you guys. We we still need lawyers and I still recommend lawyers wholeheartedly, but you can draft an asset purchase agreement. But then we've also built tools like a P&L builder, like, you know, any uh, find me an SMB with a clean P&L and like, and I'll find you, know, you a liar. Right. So, so tool, but the same is for tech, you know, a lot of, you know, sub $5 million businesses don't have, you know, clean P and L. So we connect directly into their payment systems. We've also built a number of just different tools like that, that just, and we're going to continue to expand on that product suite. So we get to a point where you can bring a deal into acquire.com, whether or not you find it on our platform and our tooling is so good that it just makes the process easier for both the buyer and the seller. That's kind of like the eventual goal. Will we get there? I don't know, but we're going to try. And then number two, how do you get the best deal on acquire.com? Well, if you sign up, we have a, a daily newsletter that we include generally the best startups that we've listed. All startups will vet. And so we'll, you know, give it a, a glance over, not to the point of, you know, which a business broker would, because we were taking hundreds of startups live, not, you know, five or 10 per month. And we also have a Slack app. So if you just install the Slack app, you can get instant notifications when deals goes live. Also just following us on Twitter. We post every deal on Twitter. Uh, so just like a lot of different, we have like a, a Facebook group that has a couple thousand. So just like we try to post the deal in as many places as possible. It's kind of the short answer. So that's how you get notified of the best deals. Yeah, go ahead. And with a with a reach of your platform, what what's the normal life cycle of of a quote unquote good deal? I mean, when are you seeing things pop onto the onto the website for the first time and go public with with these, you know, to 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 the point that they're under LOI and someone's actively chasing? It 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 depends on on the business. You know, there's multiple factors like how profitable is a business, how's it being priced. What was preparation like? Do they have a clean PL? Is there a SIM attached? Is there due diligence checklist? Is there, you know, an asset tran like is there like what sort of preparation, responsiveness of the seller? So there's some variables like that that, you know, are in our control and then outside of our control because we don't require all of that upfront prep. Yeah. But we do provide docs like, hey, you should fill stuff out because it it helps everybody involved. But some some founders uh, will go with just you know you know the connected P now or, or what have you. But on average, I would say let, let's just let's use an example of like 
a SaaS business that's doing, you know, five to five hundred thousand to a million dollars in profit, that business will probably receive on average sixty to seventy NDAs and will wow. probably receive out of that, you know, five to eight LOIs, three being meaningful and that process can take say I'd say two months, depending on how they're running it. Typically, you know, we recommend like running a, a a process with a deal schedule, keeping everybody with deadlines for briefing calls, for indicative offers, and then formal offers. So if you do all that correctly, I mean, you'll get swarmed on for sure. Yeah. But that's kind of like a bullseye business. But then if you come on the marketplace with a company that's losing a bunch of money and it doesn't have all its proper materials and the seller is really unresponsive, then that business likely isn't going to respond. And we have kind of some data points that, you know, we look at and we'll score the, the deal internally. Yeah. Interesting. And are, are, are most of these, I mean, just given the size of, of your, your target, are most of these acquisitions kind of similar to the small business space at large where buyers are using an SBA loan or, or are, do you see because of a, a more tech oriented nature, in your platform, do you see more kind of strategic cash buyers or what, what's the, what's the profile of, of folks using the platform the most, the most? Yeah, we see kind of everybody that you could probably think of. I shouldn't say everybody, you know, just Justin Bieber isn't on there, but like, <laughs> or, or, or Drake or any, any celebrity, but you know, Yet. private equity. Private, someday, someday. Private equity, lots of private equity. That's probably the main buyer pool, financial buyers. Really? Yeah, and there's a lot how, of how layers. How many deals, Andrew? The largest that we've done is, you know, low eight figures, and kind of our sweet spot is like, you know, the one to five million, and then we oh. see a lot of transactions below that. So we'll see transactions as small as 10K all the way up to, you know, $10 million. And that's why we wow. dropped the the micro from micro acquire. What was the driving for? I mean, those are not small deals from our perspective, at least. Maybe other people in mid market land would think so, but I mean, a, a one to five million dollar average purchase price is a not a micro deal. Yeah. So dropping uh, the micro, you know, we wanted to just it, we did a lot of like research behind it in terms of with our customers, and it was limiting in terms of you know, our positioning in the market of like, what, like what is listed on here? Like, is it just little, you know, 5k, no revenue, you know, random applications or are they like real profitable software companies? And so we wanted to move over towards or move up market. And we felt that dropping the micro would help just based off conversations with buyers, sellers, kind of everybody that we talked to. Cause because micro can mean a lot of things. It can mean small, tiny, little, yep. uh, and and no one wants a micro acquisition. We want to help maximize acquisition. So, I still got micro car painted back here. So it'll always be in our hearts. But by dropping it, we just felt it was more of a, a stronger you know brand name for the business. Yeah. What's the roadmap to getting to Main Street? You you flirted with it on Twitter. I think you put out a poll. And when I saw the poll, I was like, this is, you know, Gastecki marketing. There's no way he hasn't already decided to come to Main Street, but he wants to gin up some excitement about it. Is it our tip, like, you know, a plumbing company compared to a SaaS company? 
What are the challenges of taking your platform and applying it to typical Main Street deals? Yeah, the main, so we've, we've looked at it quite a bit and we'll, we'll be there eventually. I don't want to give that any hints at as to when, but it, it's, a, it's a tough market. And I think that's probably why you haven't seen a lot of innovation in that market because it's, it's tough. It takes time. And I don't think it can be like, if we talk about, you know, biz by sell, you could probably make a marginally better biz by sell pretty easily. You know, but they already have kind of the network effects of that. So if you don't come with a, there's something called like 10x better. I don't, I don't know who coined it, but to get people to switch platforms, it needs to be 10 times better, five times better because, you know, the time it takes to learn a new platform and then five times better for them to even care or something like that. So it needs to be significantly better. And so, you know, our wedge into the market is with software companies, but over time we want to go all businesses, but when you think about mainstream, I'm, I'm not an expert like, like both of you, but I look at it and I see two big issues. One is the buyer profile and the seller profile. So generally the seller is looking to retire. You know, it's the business is completely, you know, going to be valued in different ways, very similar to software businesses, but you know, it's got a physical location. It's got you know, there's just so many different components. And then the buyer of that business, also uh, some similarities to, you know, tech buyers, but the seller is typically going to be of, of an age where technology is going to be harder for them to adopt. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the first barrier. And then the second barrier is geography constraints, which really limits the buyer pool. So if we had listings and let's say we had, you know, five in, Texas or something like that, our buyer pool is, you know, presumably only limited to Texas, even though I know some buyers will pick up small business out of state, but generally it's, you know, it's a, a geographical purchase where the two people are meeting, you know, shaking hands, stuff like that, you know, and so those are some of the things that, you know, the biggest hurdles in, in my mind. And so we're, we're thinking through like, how can we, you know, improve upon those like two items for those two types of buyer profiles being the buyers looking to acquire, you know, small businesses. And then also specifically, more specifically, the owner of the business, because if I'm helping them sell their business, you know, it's probably not going to work. You know, they're probably going to want to work with someone older. I could, I could be the challenge. Yeah, the sell side is a challenge. And then also finding deal flow as well. You know, I think that's kind of the big unlock. You know, right now, I think if anyone just wants a business idea, I think if you just went through biz by sell and just sorted through a lot of the junk and then just put, you know, like, hey, here's the best 10 deals from biz by sell on a website, that could be a decent, you know, business right there. Just the filtering, I think, is just yeah. so have, bad on that website. Should do the filtering for us so we can... <laughs> Yeah, that could literally be a business right there. But getting the actual transaction done and then finding a way to do those transactions at scale and you know being able to capture commission to build a, a significant business, it's hard. I mean, there, yep, yeah. and, and then there's 20 other things that you guys know about and then that I don't need, I'm not even thinking about. Well, the biggest challenge that I see in the marketplace is the sub-million dollar deal. What do you do about the, nobody wants to service the sub-million dollar deal. The broker who represents doesn't take it seriously, doesn't give time a day. When buyers approach, they do such a bad job of representing that business. 
then you, you actually find a buyer. You have a really hard time finding a lawyer who's willing to take it or who it makes sense economically to take it. And so, you know, I look at, I look, I look at smart tech guys like you and I say, give us a solution, Andrew, because there are a lot of, a lot of sub-million dollar businesses out there that need to be bought and sold. So um, if anybody out there wants a, a business idea, solve that one. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it's a it's an unserviced area of just the M and A landscape, and I think technology is what's needed to solve it. Because yeah, then you you could do it at scale. The you know cost to draft the legal docs, or you might not necessarily you know need a business broker. That's maybe something we could you know debate debate on. But you know we we've successfully you know kind of remove the middleman for software companies in terms of brokers and i think that's kind of the path for that that market and to get there you know i think it's a lot of software tooling that streamlines the process has a lot of trust built into it where you know it's it's a process when you go through it has every step of you know leading the both the buyer and the seller towards a successful close yeah well, we're running up on time, Andrew. I know we talked a little bit about where acquire.com may go next. You know, m- maybe wrap up for a second. Is there anything Andrew Gazdecki wants to share kind of personally? Like what, what Gazdecki, what, what, you know, what do you have in the pipeline? Any kind of exciting things you have that you're working on outside of acquire that, that you want to talk about or where, where do you go from here? I mean, we just had a we had a big product release today. We're gonna be um, improving escrow. Escrow is like the biggest complaint we get. Okay. All over the place, so we're gonna be improving upon that. And then, yeah, you never know. I don't. We might make an announcement soon. So, or maybe we won't. We'll keep you hanging. <laughs> no, that that that's awesome. Well, let, let's wrap up. I know Eric mentioned your Twitter a couple of times. You know, we, we know you very actively from Twitter, but where else can people find you, follow along acquire.com and, and you and your journey? Feel free to, to shout out any of those channels before we, we sign off. Yeah, just uh, you can go to acquire.com or acquire.com or acquire.com. You can find me. Love it. Right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> or, 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 or at a a Gazdecki on Twitter. If you're you're brave enough to to get that spelled correctly. I love it. You're you're a must follow. Thanks thanks for coming on, Andrew. Andrew this was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.